Hello and welcome to this week's French Football Weekly podcast, the podcast that absolutely will never kick out in petulant retaliation. My name is Chris, I am your host, and tonight, and as always, I'm joined by Phil and Jess. Good evening to you both. Good evening. Hello. Hello. Now, first thing to mention is uh, a small apology. We, You may have noticed by now, dear listener, we didn't join you last week. Apologies for that. A little bit of scheduling conflict and uh, kind of one of those weeks where we just thought, you know what, not too much went on in the internationals. However, the internationals were played. So without uh, any hesitation, I'm going to throw to Jez, who's going to bring us up to speed. Uh, so Jez, three games played for the French national team in our little break. Uh, fair to say, mixed results, mixed performances. Your take on the Ukraine home game and away wins in Kazakhstan and Bosnia. Sorry, I'll take myself off mute first. <laughs> um, I was going to say, it wasn't that bad. Well. <laughs> it really wasn't that bad. And I think, you know, as usual... It, it continues to sort of mystify me how everyone is, is so keen to jump on, on Deschamps. First of all, like I think we've established so many times before, it's international football. It's very different to club football. You don't, even in the best of times, you don't get the same kind of opportunities to develop some kind of understanding and there needs to be more pragmatism. And I still maintain the only team that has ever, there's probably only two teams that I can think of that have truly won international competitions playing great football. And that's maybe Spain in 2008 and Brazil in 1970. Although if you go on YouTube and you look at Brazil 1970, we're rubbish. There's some hilarious clips of absolutely terrible football in amongst the great goals. The great teams, okay, they're remembered. Brazil, 82, Holland, 74, France, 82. They are remembered and they're remembered fondly. Hungary, 54. But they didn't win the World Cup. And I'm sure if you ask any of those players, certainly at the time, if they'd rather have won the World Cup than be remembered as fondly, you know, fondly remembered as losers, I reckon they would all say yes. They'd rather have the winner's medal. In France in particular, in sport in general, it's been a real issue with this mental block that they, you know, you look at it in tennis and cycling, they have always loved this idea of being romantic losers. But, you know, the emphasis should be on losers, not romantic. It's something even Mbappe alluded to last week when he was talking about ego. So first of all, stop with the Deschamps criticism because it's not beautiful football every time France turn up. We've seen before, we see, we saw even again last week in the, the, the final match, you know, France scored their goal when Giroud came on and was a big man to give the defenders something else to think about and it left Griezmann free. That's somehow how you have to play, sometimes how you have to play football. We've seen so many times under Deschamps when he has tried to play the, you know, the three speedy attackers that everyone wants to see. It doesn't work because they don't have the discipline and they don't have the sort of variety between them to give, give the defences different things to think about. So that just has annoyed me. But, but in terms of the matches themselves, yeah, of course the Ukraine match wasn't good. And that is an issue that France haven't yet worked out how to best deal with 
um, you know, sort of a block of five sitting really deep. And it's something that certainly Mbappe um, needs to work on both for France, but also for his own game, because it's something that in club football as well, he's being a little bit found out on. And he's kind of, he's not looking one dimensional, but he definitely needs to firstly add more strings to his bow. And secondly, kind of, work out how to bring teammates into play when when he's being double or triple team and teamed and that's probably stuff we'll, we'll cover later on with with PSG as well but again there was i think progress along the three matches and that's one of the other good things i think mm. that we generally see under Deschamps if France have a bad international match they're usually capable of reacting well and you know, it's partly sort of lucky the other results have gone their way. And they're actually the only, although they've played more matches than a couple of their sort of supposed bigger rivals in the group, um, they are the only team so far in the group that has any win. And they've got two wins. So they're, they're sitting okay at the moment. It's just a surprise that, you know, you'd, you'd, on paper, you probably would have said, well, that, you know, if they're going to get a draw, it'll probably be away to Bosnia. So I think it was a good reaction to a poor start. And you also have to take it in the context of this international meet in this season. And you look at England, who only just scraped past Portugal's second team. You look at Germany, who lost at home to North Macedonia. You look at Spain, who needed an injury time winner against, I think, Georgia. You look at um, Portugal, who's pretty much scraped past all their matches. Um, or drew one and only just got past Luxembourg and I can't remember who else. The, you know, France's results actually, compared to some of the other bigger teams, weren't that bad at all. Um, so just enough with the France bashing. We saw, you know, a couple of players like Dembele and Lamar come back into the into the France setup and, you know, look like they, they merit their place there again. So, you know, again, Deschamps is sort of still spot for choice in in a lot of positions. There's still a couple of problem positions like, like right back, for example. Um, we've seen, you know, Loris be absolutely crucial again, even though a lot of people questioning his Spurs form and should Menon take over from him. Again, he's just shown how reliable he is when the chips are down for France. We've seen Griezmann, who's had trouble the last couple of years, maybe for Barcelona, just absolutely run the show again, score important goals, but frankly be France's best attacker, midfielder and defender at times. Um, you know, I, it's not all great, but I don't think you can expect that from any national team at the moment. And yes, France on paper have got such a deep squad, but for that reason, it's easy to kind of criticise everything they've done wrong and point to the players who aren't there who would have done better. But it's not as simple as that. And people who pretend it is are idiots. No, no further questions, you're on. <laughs> well, any ones as well? Well, can I you throw may. a slight aspect Careful. in here? Um, just, I think. I do agree with you, Jez, on a lot of those points, but I think that first game against Ukraine where they scored a goal without having a shot on target, that's not a great look. And so I did understand why that was seen as problematic. It was a weirdly unengaging match. It seemed very kind of aimless 
Well, um, Hannah, that, that means that Fran France didn't concede a, goal, a shot on target and were very no. unlucky, therefore, to concede. Surely yes. that's a positive in a way. But that's also something that makes you go, ah. By the way, they conceded three shots on target across the three matches. Three games, yeah. yeah. No, no, no. And I think against Kazakhstan, what we saw was um, obviously there were two goals in the first half and Mbappe had a penalty saved after he, Benyeda and Rabiot had been brought on around the hour mark when it looked like Deschamps would maybe realise have to do something more here. But really the Kazakhstan goalkeeper, um, Alexander Mokin, yeah. saved the penalty. Seven saves overall. He really saved that from being uh, a kind of a tennis score. So that was, um, I think, you know, a reasonable um, reaction to that is that, that a 2-0 win, but it could have been a lot more. And then you look at the Bosnia match, and I think you, Jez, said that um, Mbappe looked so much better when... Giroud came on to distract people, but when Mbappe moved to the wing, if you've got someone who is that fast and that smart running down running down the wing at you, then that makes a lot of sense. And again, I felt that that was a slightly underwhelming game in terms of just watching the game. If you look at the three together, it's like, well, that's fine, as you say, and it was a, a massive piece of bad luck against Ukraine. But they need to look out for that. Um, if you were further ahead, then that massive piece of bad luck would not have ended in a point. And I think that's just the, the worry that a lot of people have that France against Ukraine should have been a lot further forward. And I think that I should not have been that, the problem. It was it was the first match with no train. That's the other thing. There was no training beforehand. No. Um, for what it's worth, not that the Stade de France is always the, the greatest place anyway. No fans. <laughs> but also, France have never, ever qualified comfortably for a World Cup. No. 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 Exactly what I was thinking. And it's expectation, isn't it? Like, it, if you if you look at the amount of reports that come from, uh, I can't speak for the French journalists for obvious reasons, being in the UK. But if you look at the UK press and the UK coverage and the social media coverage, it, it's it's always oh, France only drew with Ukraine, like they should be winning that eight nil. You know, it, it's not that's not the modern game, and you are going to get tough international games at this level particularly this particular season against northern macedonia for example. well exactly and and I, I just think the expectations are so high that everyone just expects france like you said Jez, with the spanish team when they were at their pump to just turn up and win eight nil every game and and with the talent they've got yeah there's an argument maybe they should put in more uh, convincing performances but at the end of the day who remembers qualifiers if you win a World Cup, you win the European Championships. I mean, I know we England bash. And even bit, even but... during the tournament, I mean, that supposedly great Spain team of 2010, they were great in 2008 and they weren't bad in the final in 2012. Mm. If you rewatch them in 2008, apart from losing the first match, they were 
dire to watch. Yeah, I don't remember. Nil wins. It was sort of Mourinho tactics with one of the best teams ever. Even France '98 and 2000, they were there were a few stinkers in that, weren't there? You, you think back to the Not Paraguay. 2000, 2000 was super. Was it? Was am I thinking of '98? <laughs> oh, yeah. Am I thinking You've of 2000? You've annoyed him now, Chris. I have '98. Yes, '98. '98 was, was the Guy era, wasn't it? And and you know the Degree substitute appearances. There was the game I'm thinking of. I think it was '98 actually. The Golden Goal, the Laurent Blanc yeah, Golden Goal, Paraguay. Yeah. That was '98, was it? Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, there there were a few games where, you know. They're not going to go down as classics. Even the Saudi Arabia game, you're not going to look back on in 20 years, are you? So, I mean, it, and as I say, I know we sort of maybe bash other countries a bit, especially England, but, you know, England have been installed as apparently the favourites for the Euros, yet, you know, as you said there, Jez, limp through, limp through their games. They qualify and, and destroy qualification every single time, but what have they won? Well, so look, it's... I mean... France used to be known as the world champions of friendlies. And, you know, mm. you look at qualifying for Euro 92, they won every single match and then crashed and burned in the... In the... When it counted. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I think I think we can probably all agree that, you know, as you said yourself there, Jez, you know, you look back in isolation, would you have said three wins out of three? You'd have probably thought yes, but ultimately two wins and a draw is not anything... To, to be concerned about, particularly as the qualification looks fairly comfortable. One qualification that maybe wasn't quite so comfortable, but, but ended up happening was the under-21s, which we'll just briefly mention here. They are through to the, the second stage where uh, they will face the Netherlands under-21 on the 30th of May in this sort of weird schedule. Um, they didn't start particularly well losing to Denmark, who ultimately topped the group. Uh, Dreyer with the winner there. They came back fighting, though, a 2 0 win against Russia with penalties from Jonathan Ikone and Odson Edouard, and then ultimately won the, the crucial game as they beat the Iceland number 21 team, Matteo Genduzzi, and, uh, and Odson Edouard, if I can put my teeth in, also scoring once again. So, um, France under 21s do qualify in second spot. And that's and another one's going to be tough. Uh, to a certain extent, looked a little bit better than the under 21s have in the past, which is that they start great and then fall at the final hurdle. Mm. Uh, Denmark are clearly a very good team. And yeah. in that opening game for France, just basically nothing worked. No. It took like 74 minutes for them to have their first shot on target. That was directly in the keeper. And then Denmark scored from the, from the next phase of play. It was not great, but they held it together. I was slightly concerned against Russia that both goals came from penalties rather than open play, but they were kind of working on it. And yeah. uh, and it ended up being a better set of results, I think, than, again, you'd have seen, not from the result of the first game, but from the way it was played, it really wasn't massively convincing, given that, you know, the, the amount of talent and legal starting talent um, that they had in that, in that group. Yeah. in that team rather so good for them they're through and let's just hope that Laban Kozawa is nowhere near the situation mm -hmm. um, but to sort of give um, Ripple a bit of credit and I yeah, think sort of similarly to the England under 21s it feels like certainly at the moment when, when they underperform 
everyone blames Ripple, which may or may be may or may not be fair. But I know it's easy when you've got a ridiculously strong squad in depth, but that he changed, I think, more than half the team and even dropped his captain for the second match and tactics, got a reaction. Yeah. And then those players that he brought in for the third match played even better. Yeah. Um, you know, I think he made some brave calls and should probably be credited for that. Yeah. yeah, and I think he he definitely is a step over um, whoever's in charge of the England under twenty one. Ad Boothroyd, yeah, who well probably won't be for much longer, but uh, yeah, exactly yeah, that. It's at the same time, you know, if you're only blaming Ad Boothroyd and not these over pampered players, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there, there's definitely an argument for that one. Um, but I, I, I think you're right, Jez Ripple does deserve a lot of credit for, for making the changes both tactically and personnel-wise. Uh, so well done to the under-21s and ultimately well done to the national teams. If you fancy a giggle, by the way, the French national team posted a video yesterday on their Twitter feed and probably the other social medias as well, which is um, essentially like the best bits behind the scenes some quite amusing uh, uh, moments of players taking the mick out of each other. So if you fancy a coffee break of three minutes, enjoy that. Let's um, come back to Liga then, because it's been quite the weekend in terms of action. Uh, Jez, I want to start with you because the, the big game of the weekend, for obvious reasons, was indeed PSG Lille. And uh, all of a sudden, this title race is, is just slightly edging towards Lille again. I, I'm not sure we would all have thought that would be the case. Um, we'll come on to PSG when we talk some Champions League and what holds, what saw their future holds. But I want to give Lille some credit because I don't think they've got anywhere near as much credit as they deserve from this game. Barring a, a really good save from Mike Manuel from, from Mbappe, I thought they tactically were, were superb. They took the, the chance. Well, I thought Jonathan David's finish was excellent from that. You know, you could say it's just always oh, just finished it. I thought he took it really well and, and was calm under pressure. Lille could easily have got a second or third. I think it was Yilmaz missing a, a fairly presentable chance of the breakaway to make it too late on. Just thought they were really good and discipline-wise as well. Benjamin Andre in particular in that central midfield area. I just thought they were really, really good. And if I'm completely honest. I, I sort of I didn't think they had the energy levels that they showed in this game. I thought they'd burnt out. They proved me wrong. What what did you make of, of their one 0 win at the PDP? Um, I think that the the international break came a really good time for them because they looked shattered before the break, and that um, defeat against Nîmes was was pretty poor, and it just looked like a team that had run out of steam. And although obviously they they did have some internationals. Um, going on on their travels I think they, they did look sort of rejuvenated and I, I thought it was a fantastic performance obviously it's sort of you know if Mbappe's chance goes in or if Lille don't get the early goal it, it changes the, the complexion of the match completely but it worked perfectly in Lille's favour to be fair they were they were sort of on top before the goal as well and and frankly just before the goal PSG were very lucky not to be reduced to 10 or even 9 men yeah um, and so, you know, Lille just looked, it's, I suppose, a cliche, but they just looked a lot hungrier. They just looked like they wanted it more. They were biting into tackles. Andre was everywhere, always a fan of, or certainly don't always think he deserves the, the hype that, that surrounds him, was fantastic alongside him. Renato Sanchez even playing in a... In a completely different position. Different role. Yeah. He didn't enjoy, just worked so hard. 
the fullbacks who can be a bit suspect were, were excellent, I thought. And um, yeah, it was, a, it was a really good all-round performance. And yes, they, you know, they were lucky-ish, even though they created it, or there was a deflection at the end that they they had something to defend, but they defended it brilliantly. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like the Alamo. It wasn't just PSG attacking. They looked dangerous when they attacked. They actually squandered a couple of breaks that they probably should have done a little bit better with. Not just the Yilmaz shot, but a couple of others where, you know, three on twos, they just made the wrong pass. Wrong pass, yeah. And yeah, if you look at possession and even where where the ball spent most of the time, you'd, you'd think maybe PSG were, were dominant, but Lille rarely looked that, that flustered. I mean, there was that Mbappe shot. There are a couple of Neymar chances in the second half, but that, that was more or less it. And yeah, I mean, there's, there's been other podcasts that suggested PSG well, weren't unlucky, but dominated the match. I wouldn't say they did at all. I think yeah. Lille allowed them to have possession and were relatively comfortable Um you know, um, handing that possession over because they were able to to handle whatever PSG could throw at them, which frankly wasn't much. Yeah, it was a lot of possession, a lot of substance without a lot of finishing and, and uh, uh, final third. Phil, would it be fair to say from a PSG perspective, making a call to the defence, you know, they did they were missing a couple of key players as, it, as they always seem to be these days, but... Yeah. They, it, maybe their eyes were elsewhere as well, which we'll come on to. Do you feel that's a yeah, use? possibly? Um, but I mean, you look at their their backline now. Obviously, Kara Marquinhos, Kim Pembe, and Diallo. I mean, that's not Kara big. Was hideous. What's happened to him? I don't know, but he was hideous. I mean, yes, but if you look at that central defensive partnership, that is their standard central defensive partnership. Yeah. Um, and I agree with Jez. I think this is a situation where I had, you know, the, the French TV commentary saying, oh, Lille needs another goal, Lille needs another goal. It's like, well, we've watched Lille a while. They don't necessarily need another goal. One is enough. And the whole caper at the end with um, Neymar and Jello. Uh, clashing, uh, being sent off. This was another one of those situations where I always think about little dog, big dog in the park. Mm. You know, it's it's and to a certain extent, this was PSG v Lille. Lille were like, no, we're you can yap all you like. We are the big dog. We're fine. Um, but yeah, when you just look at Neymar's reaction to being um not getting everything his own way shall we say um and uh, the kind of stromash in the tunnel where he was being dragged away from jello where clearly that was for his own protection yeah because uh, jello looked like he wanted to just smack him around um it was a petulant performance from the guy we often criticize and not often me but i'll do it this time um from the guy that we say puts in petulant performances and now he's you know ruled himself out for however many matches because he had a suspended sentence already hanging over his head and it was just like 
Lille were the ones who didn't lose their cool. Yeah. I, I felt That's, that that was the key thing that Gaultier, I mean, he's got them thinking, right, we're just going to do what we do and we are not going to get annoyed and we are going to make it work. And the other side could not manage that. And that's something uh, noticeable, I think, we've seen over, over quite a long time. Yeah. Um, I felt like just touching on the name, I think, as you know, like you said, we've done it to death. And just to mention it, I mean, for those who haven't seen it, I mean, he could have been sent off earlier for a, a race. He face. got lucky once. Yeah. And then it, it went was, at it again. And don't get me wrong, if that's my team and my players sent off for that, I'm livid. But by the letter of the law, he could easily have been sent off for that. Benjamin Andre was in his head from the first whistle and smiling in his face yeah, after that incident. I think that just ended the game for Neymar because his attention very much like it was when he was sent off against Marseille was all about his opponent and not about the game and he was clearly flustered um Paredes the same could easily have walked you know it was slightly missed time challenge he slipped but he again his his game was all focused on it was almost like PSG wanted to bully Leo and Leo said no we're not going to let it happen and the ultimate sort of sending off a, a sort of event that led up to the sending off was so petulant um Gilles was was going nowhere he was heading to the touchline. Does he milk the contact from Neymar? Absolutely. Does he go over like he's been hit by a tank? 100%. But if you put that round the other way, would Neymar have vaulted himself out of the stadium to make a point? Absolutely. <laughs> so you yeah. can't you can't give it if you don't want to take it. And as for the tunnel incident, um, that was very much for me, I think it was described elsewhere as sort of, you know, like the schoolyard bully, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to sort of like poke fun at you, but as soon as you swing at me, I'm going to go running to teach you. Neymar had no business getting involved there. He's, Little he's... dog, big yeah. I saw, not, I mean, not just size, but I saw a lot of PSG fans saying it's pathetic. It's a 29-year-old megastar. Yeah. Um, sort of picking on a on a 20-year-old kid. Mm. Obviously, you know, 20-year-old kid, he's streetwise. He's just, you know, Wound Neymar up quite right, not quite rightly, but you know, as you see many hundreds of times. Just a minute. Match. The yeah. problem is that this is the thing with Neymar. I think this every time he's been sent off for PSG, it's been in the last five minutes of a match, and it's always yeah. been perpetuance. And it. whether it's from the other team winding him up or his frustration because he's not sort of fit and can't do what he wants to do on the pitch, it you know it's it's a classic easy playbook now anyone who the more he does it the more it's obvious to the opposition wind him up give him a couple of kicks and the referee's not looking he's gonna forget about playing football and you'll you'll basically take him out of the game not take him out as in you know yes, fouling him, as in he won't be thinking about the game anymore he won't and, make it and it's speaking, a sort of it's a vicious gone. circle yeah. because he's frustrated that he's not up to match fitness because he's just missed matches through injury so then he gets himself suspended yes. so then he misses more matches so then he comes back he's still not match fit he gets frustrated and he either gets injured again or gets himself sent off again yeah and the bottom line is that he's missed more than half of the matches he's played um that psg have played since he's joined there's david wall updated his stat the other day to say that he's played since May 2017, I think, he's played the same number of Liga matches as Lucas Ocampos, who left Liga in 2019. Two years ago, yeah. it's not It's not good enough 
Firstly, for someone that you've paid 200 million plus all the extras plus all the indulgences he gets anyway, but it's not good enough for even a run of the mill professional. And it's an issue. Of course, he's a match winner on his day. And of course, as as you alluded to earlier, without Verratti there, and I'm not saying to be fair to PSG because it's a completely, it's because of their awful transfer policy of the last 10 years or so. But without Verratti there, they need Neymar there for any element of creativity they can get. And it's a massive dereliction of duty for him to, to act like that. He should be acting better than everyone else. Not because he's, you know, paid billions more, but because he aspires to be one of the best players in the world. And to do that, it's not just about how many stepovers you can do. It's about turning up week in, week out, looking after your fitness, you know, like Ronaldo does, like Messi does. Yeah, being a match winner ultimately, yeah. and 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 who's and who's his next opponent directly in line uh, for tomorrow night's Champions League clash with Bayern Munich? Probably one of the most spiky defensive midfielders in Europe, in, in Joshua Kimmich, who will be in his grill the whole game. And and if it's not him, it'll be Leon Goretzka. So you know, if there was ever a walking advert for Bayern Munich to to know how to get in his head, if they didn't already know, then then there is is your bait. And I think to sort of draw a line under that. Um, just to sort of give myself a pat on the back here. Maybe, I, I don't know, but who cares? I, I tweeted and I stand by it. Th- these sort of incidents are what will mean Neymar will never be looked at as one of the greats when when his career ends. He'll always be looked at as a, a magnificent footballer and a wonderful talent, but ultimately never quite one of the greats because these, I, I these think, things separate him. I was thinking about that. I don't know if you consider Ronaldinho one of the greats, but at least with Ronaldinho, it was kind of like, he seemed happy with his lot. Like, yeah. I'm going to go clubbing every night and therefore yeah. I'm not Fit going football. to win everything. But in the meantime, I'll have a laugh and I'll play football with a smile. Mm. Neymar doesn't. He plays it with a scowl. He doesn't look like he's enjoying it. He claims to in interviews, but he looks like he's out there to piss other people off and get pissed off. And mm. I think that's why he will never be, you know, Ronaldinho for all the sense that maybe he should have achieved more. I think he's loved. He'll always be one of the entertainers as well. Just um, just briefly, because I do want to move on to the other league and games, but do either of you sort of fancy PSG over two legs against Bayern Munich? Because strangely, I kind of do, um, mainly because I sort of feel like the, the longer this patchy league and form goes, and by the way, that's six defeats in league and this season for PSG. Um, in I saw, at home as well. yeah, in a, yeah, at home. I, I, I feel like their focus is going to be so heavily now towards this Champions League that they it'll be sod's law that they probably end up going and winning the thing this year when they don't win the league and title, maybe. But do, do either of you fancy them against Bayern? I, I have the same fear, but for absolutely no reason other than just karma because mm. i don't watch Bundesliga, so i don't know <laughs> what's going on they're not uh, the same buy-in of last year but they're still yeah, buying this you know. feels like a game where it could be a really underwhelming psg win or it could be a really embarrassing buy-in win mm. you know and i, I kind is... of don't know which one it's in Paris, isn't it, tomorrow, the first leg, if I'm not mistaken. I'm just double-checking that because I get these games round the wrong way all the time. No, Sorry, no, see, I'm wrong again. It is actually in Germany tomorrow. So I, I feel like, do you do you agree, Jez, it, it's basically don't lose in Munich? That, that's kind of how I look at this game is don't lose in Munich. Yeah, and... I think it's got to be. I think, look, 
the fact that Lewandowski is out is massive. Huge, yeah, I agree. And Gnabry's out as well now, and he was touted as maybe being the replacement for Lewandowski up the middle. Mm. They've still got a lot of good players. Um, I feel like PSG missing Verratti in a way is bigger because, yeah. like I said, he's the main creative source unless Neymar can somehow get back to um, to his best. Um, I think the thing that I think PSG have in their favour is that um, their style in some ways matches up to, to Bayern in that Bayern play that very high line. So if Mbappe can sort of replicate what he did yeah. in that first leg against Barcelona, he could buy into shreds. Mm. But he needs the service. Then that's yeah. the issue because that's the kind of, you know, what Verratti is at, is brilliant at, sort of pinging it over the top for Mbappe to run onto. That's that's my slight concern. And the other one, again, you know, f- the fullbacks, again, Florenzi, unfortunately, is out. So it means the right-back will be Dagba, who was okay for the under-21s, but certainly PSG fans aren't that sold on him. Or Kera, who, you know, like you said the other day, frankly, he was so bad that you know, I sent a tweet saying he wouldn't have deserved his place in the Paris FC team, let alone Paris Saint-Germain. Yeah. Um, and left-back at the moment isn't much better either. Um, I mean, Diallo, he has been all right recently, but... He had a shaky match the other day, I think. He's not a left-back, is he? That's my concern. Okay, he doesn't have Lewandowski, but Muller's in great form. You've got Goretzka coming up with lots of goals from midfield. They've got Koeman, obviously. Mm. They've got so much talent from so many different areas. And again, that's my big, big issue with PSG. And you can blame Blanc and Emery and Tuchel and even Neymar, whoever you want, but... 10 years into QSI, they still have no one behind Verratti in midfield. They still don't have quality fullbacks. It's not good enough. And someone higher up should be falling on their sword. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah, you can change the coach as much as you want if, if the transfer policy is not good and the players are not not uh, of, a, of a standard. It, and it, it's not the first 11, is it? It's, it's deeper, it's the squad. Um, not fullbacks, but... Another thing in terms of misguided policy, Lille what beat PSG with Menon, Sumer, yeah. Ikone, Weir, there might have been one other one, who all came from PSG's youth team. Yeah. And, and will be facing Komen, who scored the Champions League winner. Against them, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think I'm right in saying as well that didn't Lille have two coronavirus absentees on Saturday, if I'm not mistaken, as well? So... You know, because everyone said yes, PSG had a couple missing, or so did Lille. So, you know, it's not just one way. Um, By the way, um, Jonathan David is probably out for a few weeks now. But obviously yeah, he, he took a hell of a whack, didn't he? Play. Yeah, on, on that on that ankle. He the, the one good thing you would say is Barak is back. And that hopefully you would think that when he gets up to speed again, um, he was so key towards the sort of middle part of the season. You'd like to think he'll step back up with Weyer in support, but I guess we will see. Um, But when we talk about the two challenging teams, we saw fluctuating results here. Jez, I'll spare you. Um, I'll come to Phil first. We saw uh, a 4-0 win for Monaco over Mets. I thought Monaco were, once again, really impressive just in their overall application. Johan Hammer was there, man. (laughs) Jez. 
calm. No, 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 no. Um, I'm going. To I know. I know there yeah. is. There this are is the referee we're talking about, by the way. Significant stats that suggest that Mets get the shitty end of the stick from this particular referee. And yes, the penalty, which was the opening goal. I don't understand what is a penalty now because um, the guy got the shot off before the impact. Mm. But obviously you could then say that he wouldn't have got the shot off if the goalkeeper hadn't been coming out to him, but that's what goalkeepers are supposed to do, close the angles. So that was a bit harsh, Fabregas... Um, converted that um, then we had a situation but I did feel at that point in the first half this had been quite a physical game I thought Mets were lucky not to be a man down after someone wiped out Fabregas shortly before half time um, but then we had a second from Volant obviously Kevin uh, assisted by Matato, he's 19. That was his second start. Look really good, by the way. Um, and then we got Wizenbinieda got the last two. One of which the ball went out of play very clearly in the build-up, but it wasn't that that ball went back for the cross for the goal. There was a different phase of play, and. So I can understand why Mets fans are cross about this. And having seen the figures, I can understand why you are unhappy with this particular referee. But I would still say that that was, you know, a fair win. Um, Because I do think that, I I think uh, John Boy got sent off late on, but seriously you could have been down to 10 men in the first half which would only have made things worse so uh, yeah. that was uh, an interesting roundup for the game which is happening in about half an hour after we record this yeah. um, in the Coupe de France which is Monaco Mets round right. two so let's see what happens there yeah, as we speak, yeah, it's, uh, I believe, currently, no, no, as we oh, speak, it's yeah. it's currently happening. Yeah, so there okay. we go. So, <laughs> we're, I we're, have to write everything down in two time zones because of you guys, so I no idea what's going on. I'll keep you posted. Um, it's currently happening. Some very heavy rotation. The Brighton fan, having seen that United match, I don't know what a penalty is. I do certainly think that the interpretation of what a penalty is definitely depends on... Who you play for. Yeah. That was a disgrace. But yeah, Jan Hamill has clearly got something in for Mess and it's a, he should not be refereeing Mess matches. This goes back like five years or so. Every single metric, Mess are either top or bottom of, you know, sort of benefiting or being victims of his of his calls. Over half the penalties that have been, uh, that they've conceded this year have been his, he's he's called them. Um, practically every single match he's refereed, he's sent a mess player off. It's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. And of course, Monaco are the better team. Of course, they were always going to be the better team. They've got a multi-million pound 
or Euro squad, genuinely half of Messi's first team is out injured. Um, some now for the, for the remainder of the season, some for the whole season since August. Of course, Mess were always going to be up against it. Of course, Monaco dominated the first half, but at halftime it was nil-nil and Mess were finished the half in the, in the ascendancy. So the last thing you need is a diabolical decision going against you and then obviously chasing the game against Monaco. In Monaco, you don't have much of a chance. You're going to leave yourself open. Mm -hmm. Yes, the goal came from the second phase of play, but there wouldn't have been a second phase of play if the correct call had been made about the ball going off. Yeah. So, you know, what are you supposed to do? If you're already sort of by, by chance and finance and all the rest of it, Again, you know, like Brighton against United, you've got limited resources anyway. All you can rely on is that your opponents maybe don't have the greatest day ever and you sort of work your socks off and play out of your skins. When you're doing that and then still the, you know, dodgy stuff is stacked against you, what what fucking chance have you got? Mm, it doesn't help. I, I must admit that the one that did stand out with the ball going out of play, I was really surprised that that was given because that didn't. For me, it was it was the offense. more it was more the penalty because it was crucial and it was ridiculous. I mean, he'd shot wide about ten minutes beforehand. Yeah, as, yeah. as Phil said, think, you know, so change the, the rules and tell the keeper that not only are they not the, allowed the to. The only thing I can I can the penalty, think of, they're not even allowed to leave their line beforehand, and then is, at least we all know. The mm. only thing I can think of is is that the goalkeeper was moving towards him. The momentum was there. So it wasn't... He's not going to move backwards. But I know. But my point is that if he just stood up and blocked and narrowed the angle, that would have been one thing. But he was moving towards the, the shooter and momentum meant he wiped him out. So maybe we're going by basketball rules now, but, but you could argue then that surely the striker was moving towards the goalkeeper as well then. Yes, So, but that's the thing. I don't understand what the rules are because uh, that, seemed, that was two very movable objects heading towards each other, Coming together, both yeah. of which seem to have a legitimate reason for doing so. So it's, it's like... Sport, isn't it? I, mean, uh, I don't know. As a striker, you know you're going to get a goalkeeper in your face in that position. That was the bit I couldn't quite get my head around. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, I can definitely see both arguments. The one thing that we will all agree on is, um, well, I hope we'll all agree on, is, is Monaco are very much still in this title race and Ooh. are very quietly sneaking up on the rails. And and yeah, that, that squad at Matanzo's performance thought was exceptional. Um, and they do seem to have that name ability yeah. to score goals so I another mean, 19 year old belgian who's really good at football yeah i mean who, does, who the fuck needs another one of those? belgian providing players who'd have thought um keep this one brief i just because i know we are a bit pushed for time tonight but leon uh at the risk of upsetting leon fans i'm going to upset leon fans yeah. this is all very predictable isn't it they were poor against longs jonathan klaus scoring the opener i have to say a, re a really good goal um he's he looks like a a bit of a find all of a sudden but i thought his finish was excellent they got out of jail with a late equalizer um but nothing about leon's performance impressed me depay was anonymous the game i thought lopez just what's happened to him he just looks like a 
nervous wreck in, in the Leon goal. Their defensive play for me was the line was just all over the shop. Um, and they just feel it just feels to me like we talked about Leon running out of steam. To me, Leon's confidence has gone and their goals have gone, and they just look like a side devoid of confidence. Are we are we rule, are we prepared to rule them out at this stage? I don't. Yes. Harsh, aren't I? <laughs> no, no, I don't. I don't think you're being harsh. I mean, I, I, I don't. I think they'll finish fourth. I, before yeah, so. the weekend's matches, I, I did a thing for, for someone who was writing an article about the, the, the run in. I predicted that they finish fourth. I still think they will, um, but they do still have to play Lille and Monaco. So there is sort of still scope for them to, to kind of push themselves back up and push a couple of those opponents back down. I just can't really see it happening at the moment. I just, for most of this year, really, I think they, they had a sort of purple patch at the end of 2020, but for most of 21, even when they've been getting results, they haven't looked great and they haven't, it hasn't really been polished team performances. There's always been someone sort of putting it out of the bag at some point. And now they haven't even got that. Like you said, the pie is, is his form has dropped off. Paqueta looks okay, but not as good as, as when he first came into it. Garcia still doesn't seem to know what, what midfield to go with. Um, Guimaraes still hasn't found his form of when he first joined. Uh, well, I think I've said enough times how little I think of him most of the time. Kakare, I think, again, doesn't seem to have the confidence of, of Garcia. And they're just not playing good enough football they don't and yeah i just i said for the for this other thing that if you know if i had a team playing for my life leon would not be my choice of team i just don't i don't trust them on their day they can beat anyone as they showed against psg um earlier in the season and on their day they can also capitulate against anyone yeah and i think um between now and the end of the season they may I don't think so, but they may come up with a couple of performances that will be stellar performances amongst the best we see from anyone this season. But in amongst that, they'll also come up with some of the most turgid performances and they'll drop more points than anyone else or certainly won't make up what they need to make up to win the league. Yeah, consistently inconsistent, as the uh, the good old saying goes. Um, but yes, uh, I think that pretty much sums it up well. Um, title race is very much alive and kicking in France, so long may it continue. We'll come on to the games upcoming in a moment. I am just going to quickly run through the other results, though. Um, we got a, a 1-1 draw in the Montpellier-Angers game, which wasn't exactly uh, pleasing I on the eye. I have one quick thing to say about that. Um, Ibrahim Amadou was basically knocked out after a clash of heads with Gaetan Laborde um, shortly before halftime. He was clearly out. Um, uh, L'Equipe said bien sonné, which basically means out for the count. Mm. Um, they took him off and they brought him back on for the final few seconds before halftime. And he played on in the second half. Now, obviously, if he was assessed at halftime properly and they were okay with him coming back on, fine. But is there a concussion protocol, Emniga? Because apparently not. They were 30 seconds away from the halftime whistle. They should not have sent him back on. The man didn't know where he was. He was hitting, it was the temple. 
mm. where he was hit, which obviously is a, a very um, delicate part of the skull. And it watching that made me feel very, very uncomfortable. Um, yeah. Quite apart from Delort missing a shitload of chances like well, he, on, he had one, didn't that he? Was not, not <laughs> he, he... He had one that day, like yeah, he, he just had one of those days where he could have played till now and not, not have scored. But yeah, fair play, he's had a good season. Just very briefly on the concussion thing, um, I will simply say this and I'll stand by it till I'm blue in the face. It shouldn't even be a question, it shouldn't be an assessment, and it should definitely not be in the player's hands. Player gets 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 smashed in the head, they come off. That's it. End of story. Yeah. No protocols, no checks, no nothing. You just take them off. That's it. End of story. But that's my view, and I'll stick with it. Um, Can I little... just say something on on you may. You I, may. I think since since our last podcast, Moulin announced that he's stepping down at the end he... of the season. Yes, so I think mm-hmm. he's given props. He's the longest-serving manager in the top five leagues. Absolutely. He took a very unfancy team up to Ligue 1, kept them there pretty much comfortably every season, um, and. I think he's fantastic and I worry a lot for Angers. They've got quite an old squad. They're a bit of a mess off the pitch as well, which I'm sure is a factor in his decision. And, um, you know, good luck to him, whatever he does next. But I do worry for Angers next year. Yeah, well said, yeah. I really want to see him as a pundit because that man does not take any shit. No. I think it's... I, I think he might rip the arms off quite a few of the rest of the pundits. Um, but yes, I I agree with Jess. He's been uh, a solid, I say quiet, but I mean that in terms of media profile rather than being actually quiet, because yeah. as we've all heard him, he's, he's vocal. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's been a fabulous job that he's done. And yeah. It will yeah. be interesting to see where Angers go next. Stuart says it might not be. Fresh ideas needed. Uh, at least he'll be able to get Neymar's autograph in peace with his retirement. So that's something. Um, but yeah, all jokes aside, credit to him. And also, quick nod of appreciation to Steffi Mavadidi, who's quietly having a nice time. Seems to have settled quite yeah. well after his move in the summer permanently. He got the goal. Bahoken got the equaliser. And it should be said as well, the equaliser came... Seconds after Montpellier missed yet another chance to make it 2 0 and uh, yeah. was punished. Delors, I think it was he missed two in a row and then uh, Angers got the equaliser, yeah. and then Delors yeah. missed a couple more. So it was, as you say, a bad day at the office. Yeah, one of those one of those days. It was also one of those days for, for Bordeaux, who are very quietly falling down the table once again. They were 3 0 down inside half an hour at home to Strasbourg. Uh, Lamine Kone, uh, Dial. Sorry, Jess, every time I mention his name, I can feel that shiver run down your spine. I actually um, have a note here that says, Sorry, Jez. Next there you go. There you go. <laughs> every time I see it. Um, and being <laughs> big, big sorry. Big, yeah, big Ludo is your call. So, with a penalty to make it 3 0. There was a fight back in the second half from Bordeaux. Uh, well, I say second half, it was before half time, I should say. But Paul Bass and uh, Huang Wujou got the penalty to get him back to 3 2. But 3 2 is how it finished. Big win that for Strasbourg, by the way. still angry. 
Yeah, yeah, and rightly so. I'm still angry. He's not in my defence, but that's another story. Uh, yeah, but good, good win that for Strasbourg and much needed. And as a result, they leapfrog Bordeaux, um, uh, who maybe we'll we'll touch on the bottom in a second. But uh, speaking of the bottom, uh, the greatest team in Normandy, uh, in Brittany, sorry, in Normandy. I'm sorry, this is what happens when I look at words. The greatest team in Brittany, um, Lorient getting a one 0 win over Brest and uh, Abagel. The, the free-scoring Lauren Abigail, once again the hero. Very tidy finish, actually, in a crowded penalty area. Um, and if you haven't seen the sending off of Bel Kebler, do look it up. It's the classic shithousery of the highest degree. Uh, basically, breast all up for a corner. It gets cleared, and uh, the, the through ball is on. The, the, the pace is there. Uh, I forget who it was, actually, from Lauren, who's streaking through the middle. Bel Kebler comes across his path and uh, just takes him out, basically, as he threw on goal. So, yeah, highest shithousery degree of all of all time. But Lorient holding on and getting the win by a goal to nil. The quite the impressive Nice uh, are winning again. Nantes losing, unfortunately for them again. Two goals from Kasper Dolberg, um, who's uh, rediscovered both his possessions in the locker as well as his goal scoring. Two goals for him, one from the penalty spot. Uh, Toure with one back for Nantes. But they're still very much in the mire. Uh, Rams and Wren drew 2-2. An entertaining affair. This one, Bully Dyer getting back on the score sheet for the home side before Jurassic's penalty equalised. Conan thought he'd won it for Ram with uh, nine minutes to go before Jurassic again popped up to make it 2-2. Uh, Morato Kusama was also saw red in that game with five minutes to go to uh, reduce the home side to 10 men. So all square there. Very, very important win for St Etienne also on Sunday. Wabi Kazri and Dennis Buanga with the winning goals uh, at home to Nîmes. This was very much not the story. Strasbourg or St Etienne to go down? I said St Etienne were in trouble. I'm not going to back away from it just yet, but um, yeah, this was a big win for them. The, the story really was the goalkeeper. Um, I'm sure most people will be aware of this story already, but if they aren't, Etienne Green, um, who, oh, ironic, isn't it? So Etienne and Green and all the links, and he was wearing green and everything that went with it. Born in Colchester, 20-year-old goalkeeper, went across when he was very young, moved to France. On his debut, not only keeps a clean sheet, saves a penalty. Um, so he was very much the hero of the hour. And uh, I'm sure he'll get plenty of press in the upcoming weeks. So we won't go into too and much detail. And cover up the fact life. that uh, Hamuma's goal was ruled out like John. Yes, indeed. Yeah, uh, ultimately didn't didn't matter. They but um, yeah, two superb goals. Second. Both goals were superb. Kasri yes, mm. absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And and dare I say, St Etienne did look pretty impressive in this in this game. Neem did not, but uh, yeah, key win for St Etienne. And uh, also the, the the quiet revolution, San Pauli revolution uh, continues um, slightly. Quiet. Quietly, well, yeah, okay, maybe not quietly from his point of view. But, the man uh, is swearing on the touchline in my guess three languages. Oh, he fit. He fits in that club to a T on on the sidelines. Yeah. He's an absolute. Yeah. Uh, yeah also, Dijon's man. defending was fucking terrible. I mean, and, I know they're bottom of the table. I know they've got like no. Well, they've point. gone. They're, they're, they've given oh, up, haven't they? Oh they've... my. God, they're on the beach. Yeah, as the saying goes, they have hundred percent gone. Oh. But. Uh, Never, nevertheless, um, Alvaro Gonzalez and, uh, and Leonardo Bellardi, both with, with decent headers, it has to be said, to, to get mm. the points for, for Marseille. Um, 
both defenders, though. I mean, it's like yeah. almost as if they don't have an attack that functions. Well, if you can see two goals from set pieces um, against Marseille and lose the game 2-0, you've got to look at yourselves. But also, if you're Marseille, you do have to look at your forward line and think, how are we not scoring goals? Uh, with you know, Benedetto is, is not elite, but he's a decent striker. Milik... I don't think he'll be there next year because I think he'll he'll look at his options and realise he's probably better fitting somewhere else. But we're in a situation where Marseille could easily squeak into Europe via the back door. Um, would it be the best thing for them? I'm not quite so sure. But um, I know this won't be popular with you, Jez, but I kind of still hope that Lons get in because I feel, I feel like they deserve it far more. But uh, I guess we'll see. Just very briefly touching on that relegation scrap, um, We've all agreed Dijon are gone, but the, the relegation scrap now sees Nantes on 19th and in the automatic relegation spot, 28 points. Nîmes a point above them in the playoff spot. Lorient now have a little bit of daylight, not enough for my liking, but three points nevertheless, unbeaten in five. Happy days. Uh, Brest have been slightly dragged, drug, dragged back into it. Um, they're just above Lorient on 35 points. Those wins for Strasbourg and St Etienne lift them to 36 points, which in turn potentially drags Bordeaux back into it, who also have 36 points. And I'm not Preston Nima playing this weekend. Yeah, which does lead us nicely on to the weekend's games. Confuse um, things slightly. Yeah, well, the weekend ahead, I think we'll shake a few things out. We see Mets face Lille on Friday. Obviously, that's uh, a big game for the away side. Um, Jazz won't thank me for saying that, but it is true. I Strasbourg... don't mind losing that one. Too. No, I thought you wouldn't. Uh, Strasbourg host PSG on Saturday at 4pm. That, that could be fun. I mean, could... I know every time I say that, it's not fun, but I'm... It could be tricky. It could be fun. Mm, could be tricky for PSG, depending on what happens in their game with Bayern Munich, of course. Bad-tempered is what it could be. Yeah, well, yeah, that's also true. Uh, and again, if PSG were to win that, Strasbourg would look over their shoulder once again. Uh, Montpellier Marseille might be a bit of fun on Saturday night. That's where my eyes will be. South Coast Derby. Indeed, yes, yeah. I always forget that's a derby. You're absolutely right. Uh, we've got um, Ren and Nantes on Sunday at uh, 12 p.m. Again, you would say Nantes really need to be looking to get something from that. Uh, not going to be easy. Ren are slightly picking up form. We've got Brest against Nîmes, as we mentioned. Uh, Lons against Lorient, which might be a, a good watch. I might watch it from behind the sofa, but nevertheless... Uh, nice against Rams. Nice looking to continue their good form. St Etienne against Bordeaux. This is why I'm not ruling St Etienne out yet because I, I personally think whoever wins this game is is fairly comfortable and, and I'm happy to we'll say we'll stay up. I don't know why, and I had this feeling when um, Neem shocked Lille, but I have this feeling Bordeaux will win that. That's why I'm not willing to give St Etienne the clear clear road yet. Mm. I could be completely wrong. It happens a lot, but I just got a feeling. Uh, I do also have a suspicion Monaco will beat Dijon, whatever gives you that impression, but I, I feel that might be a fairly comfortable home win. Um, and Lyon against Angers, again, similar. You do wonder how much that Moulin announcement will affect Angers' finish to the season. Could go either way, couldn't it, really? Could motivate them. Could They could just sort of put the flip-flops on and go on the beach. But uh, one thing's for sure, Leon have to win that to have any chance of staying in this title race, in my opinion. Just before we go, Phil, um, 
We've got some previews of the Coupe de France games. Yes, we have. Uh, John Mainland has done the necessary up on the site at the moment. We're into the last 16 or indeed the last 15 because um, PSG beat Lille 3-0 like several weeks ago for scheduling reasons. But uh, we do have um, Monaco Mets happening as we record and then uh, various games happening over Wednesday and Thursday. So keep an eye out for those. Yes, no, no, at half time. Uh, we will have game. at least two national teams uh, in it, given the way the draw has worked out. So that's kind of cool. Yes, indeedy. And also, quickly to you, for Women's Champions League update as well, since we last recorded. Well, you know, it's a bit confusing because... Um, in the previous round, the CZMs, uh, PSG had some COVID problems. So Spartaburg were given a 3-0 walkover, but because PSG had won the first leg 5-0, that didn't make any difference. But the thing is, UEFA had then made a precedent. So when Lyon had a couple of COVID cases and wanted to uh, postpone their second leg, uh, quarterfinal, it was like, well, they kind of should play it because mm. otherwise we've got precedent. But obviously this is a bigger team. So that's been postponed uh, yeah. because PSG won. PSG uh, lost the first leg uh, one nil, which was very much against a run of play. Um, uh, Wendy Renner, the uh, not so much a defender as an attacker who starts from further away, as we usually says, say uh, took the penalty for OL after there was a Formiga handball. Um, but the second leg, which is supposed to happen on the 31st of March, has been postponed. So UEFA are playing differently depending on how big a margin there is. So we've had that with the PSG COVID cases, the Ligue 1 Grand Choc was postponed, and with the OL COVID cases, the Champions League Grand Choc is postponed so we have we'll have to wait and see another couple of weeks to see how that pans out but um it was psg really dominated that game and oh well it was it wasn't a smash and grab maybe the interview with the Nawi after the game she was struggling to control her smile shall we just say yeah, yes, that's, that's so, speaks volumes, doesn't it? I guess we will. Uh, it's a it's a question of stay tuned to see what happens next. Um, and I think that that will be the case across most of Europe as we all kind of hold our breath as various countries come out of lockdowns and various countries go back into lockdowns. So uh, yeah, we we shall continue to see these uh, COVID cases spiking. You would suggest one way or other. So, uh, so, yeah, we'll we'll saw a saying that uh, Monaco made a substitution at half time and they're bringing on Saturday's referee. <laughs> and on that, <laughs> and on that bombshell, uh, yes, we wish you all the best, Jez, in the second half. Uh, much changed teams in, in both sides, but uh, 
who knows maybe Matt's will make your evening but uh, until next week we will stick a fork in our proverbial pod for this week uh, so thank you both to Phil and to Jazz thank you for your time thank you and uh, we shall indeed return next week and uh, Jazz will possibly have that referee uh, locked in his cupboard um, if he does uh, don't blame us you brought it on yourself naturally (laughs) but uh, until next week enjoy your French football and we will speak to you very soon